So we just finished our interview, our discussion with Nate Little, a Philadelphia native, Philadelphia area activist, one of the more vocal voices um, and more just, he's so, he's so blunt with the way he said things. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that was so needed. Yeah, was- big homie, big homie Nate Little uh, to be added. <laughs> um, you know, it was, that was definitely, you know, like we said at the end of the episode, um, like in, like you just said, that was definitely the most blunt episode um that we've had so far everything was you know like over the past few weeks and based on what you know we've been seeing in our reactions um everything has kind of been put into um i feel like over the past few weeks things have been becoming getting put into perspective and yes yeah that's the word i was looking for yeah this is a this was a good kind of uh sequel i don't want to say sequel it was it was a good bookend to the episode with Kian Dwyer, which if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. But it was yeah. a good, it was a good comparison because Kian's kind of showed us putting the scale how severe things are in America by showing us how not severe and not that big everything is in Ireland, yeah. in Ireland. And then Nate came back and just just was so blunt about his life experiences and so yeah. blunt about how he said he, going. he said this country is fucked up at the end of the episode and obviously like we all know that like that this country is fucked up but like to hear him say that like i don't know that was that was kind of like yeah shit there's a lot of time this episode this was this was a weird one and i imagine you know good weird though not bad weird not listening bad, to weird. it it was no i feel like just the cadence was weird it was a lot of time a lot of things that he said that just had kind of put me off my my, my normal rhythm right i have my normal rhythm yeah. when i go into the interview and i go into the podcast and your segues were smooth my segues are on point. That's always good. But it was just it, a lot of things he said that had me critic, critically reevaluating my thought processes on the fly, which kind of caused things yeah. to kind of feel lurchy and kind of a little bit um, off, off in a good way at times. It really, yeah. it really just made you think. It did. This is one of those think, that uh, made you think. And these really made you think should make you think they're making us think definitely it was um, only a couple minutes after the show and i'm thinking already and i'm gonna be thinking for the next couple hours about this show um, and i hope you guys do as well i hope you guys enjoy the interview hey there's ziggy stepping in for a quick second just giving you a heads up that you may hear some bird noises i'm coming from nate little's audio we didn't really notice those at all during recording uh, nate chose to record outside it was a beautiful day but in editing, I found that there were a lot of bird noises and tried to get rid of as much as I could. But you know, if I got rid of any more, it really would have compromised the overall quality of the audio. We're going to take this uh, into consideration in future recordings and episodes. But unfortunately for this recording, you may have to deal with some bird noises. But I hope that they don't deter from the overall content, quality of content that we have for you guys in this episode. And the quality of the interview that we had with Nate Little. And I want to apologize for... You know, anybody that feels like they're outside or confused as to why there are bird noises. But we hope you enjoy the episode nonetheless. Alrighty, welcome back to Apple Picking. This is your host, Ziggy. This is Donnie. And with us today, he's been extremely active in the greater Philadelphia area regarding the protests, furthering the discussion, and providing many educational resources to those in need. He has also taken over a few Twitter accounts and hopped on some other podcasts. We want to thank him. Uh, for taking time out of his busy schedule uh, to speak with us today. Nate Little. Hey, good to be here. Um, no, we're, we're more than happy to have you. It's interesting mm-hmm. hearing you know, an American accent coming off. Yesterday, we were hearing some Irish accents. So I got I to gotta turn my ears a little bit, but <laughs> we'll be good to go. 
All right, you know, I'm I'm ready. I want to I want to jump right into it. I want to hit yeah. you with with a tough question. Yeah. You've been talking about we're not talking about. You hopped onto the Temple Ultimate Twitter account uh, last Thursday. Killed it, by the way. Brought a lot of attention yeah. to a lot of important things. I'm, I'm I'm being intentionally vague because I'm going to kind of highlight a couple and, and you know off the bat. First and foremost, something that you brought up that I wasn't necessarily aware of, which was the Qualified Immunity Act. Can you kind of explain, um, you know, and then verbalize what exactly that act entails and why you believe that? It needs to. It needs to end. Okay. So basically, the Ending Qualified Immunity Act is basically for police officials to use, uh, just in case, like any actions and any actions that they face towards the uh, their brutality against mostly like African Americans in the system. Um, they don't have to face like minimum consequences for their actions, like if they you know kill the a black person or any other minority, they will have to face like minimal charges and like. No, like third degree murder or second degree murder, anything like that. So obviously, that plays a huge injustice to society overall, and we won't like to end it because I feel like, and many other people feel like, uh, that immunity act should not be valid for police officials, especially in today's time, because this has been going on for years and decades, and something needs to change. And this act is definitely one of the big factors that uh, definitely benefits uh the system and police officers officially so i mean within within the the name of the act itself yeah qualified and immunity right there that just that screams inequality you don't even have to dig any deeper you know you just look at look at the look at the title of the act yeah and it's creating some sort of inequality it's just protection basically yeah exactly yeah and the key words qualified immunity altogether yeah just doesn't seem (laughs) fair to any other individual or a citizen in America at all. So, so are, do you believe that this act as a whole needs to just be completely, you know, revoked so that police officers um, and law enforcement, you know, face the consequences for their action, just like every other American citizen? Or do you think it needs to just be revised? Do you think that it just needs to be amended? Oh, revoked altogether. Um, you know, we were a couple of pat, like co-pats years. We tried to be reasonable of police officials and their actions against their brutality on black people altogether. And we voice our reasons of peaceful protests. You know, we try to speak to them, but obviously one through one here, not the other. So obviously, like what you've seen today, like the riots and the looting, like it's another language that we're speaking, basically saying, hey, like we're tired, we want this vote, you know, we want equality right now. We want justice for, you know, people who have fallen. So are you guys, not are you guys, are is the movement as a whole especially i'm I'm focusing on philadelphia here is the call right now to to defund the police or is it to you know completely revamp reform the police as we saw in camden and as we are seeing now um in minneapolis uh i believe defunding the police is the right option that the black community is really aiming towards especially in philadelphia and the reason why i think it's the first step the first uh prioritized step to do uh, in this sort of time, just to, you know, to get our voice out and actually, like, commit to something that we can, like, build on and develop in years uh, in years time. Um, do you think that one thing, do, do you think there's any relationship between them? When I, by that, I mean, you think defunding the police, you know, is, as you said, is the first step and to kind of reroute that money towards you know, endeavors and communities that needed a lot more and will get a lot more use out of it than police just filling their pockets with 
uh, more tear gas, more you know, for to, to generalize the statement. Do you think that that in any way could lead to total police reform, or do you think there's any sort of connection there? Uh, it could lead to police reform, but obviously we're definitely focused on like defunding just to give the money back that's rightfully owed to us, like our tax dollars has gone yeah. to the system, obviously to the police officials. Like we want that money back if you're not going to use it wisely. Um, definitely going back to healthcare organizations, to housing, to any stuff like that. So. Yeah, and and another big thing is that like a ton of cops like purposely work overtime and will. You know, it, I saw this thing. It was like confessions of a bastard cop or a bastard cop or something. And he said that a bunch of him and his colleagues like would make arrest, or it was from a lawyer. They would make arrests at, at like 530 and their shift would end at six. So they're then they're taking more money from overtime out of the community's pockets. And, you know, that that needs to change as well. Right. So you see that you see what's been going on right in Minneapolis and they've vowed right to to tear down the law enforcement structure and not just glue it back together again and kind of rebuild it up differently. I mean, do you have, do you have any thoughts on, on, on that? Do you have any thoughts on them kind of biting the bullet, going all in and into a total law enforcement, you know, reform? My thoughts on it, I think it's the absolute right thing to do. I mean, for too long, we have been, you know, not, I wouldn't say quiet, but obviously we've been trying, trying for years to, voice our reasons and concerns of what the system is doing to us and obviously we have not been heard. So Minneapolis, uh, the incident has been had lately caused in there. It's a huge step towards what we want change and what we want justice for. Yeah, I mean you're you're what you kinda of just said saying that you've been you've been speaking on deaf ears for too long and if, if you know the people that can make changes are deaf to what matters, they sure as hell won't be blind. Right, you you might you know you might need to do actions that cause them to actually look your way if they're not choosing to listen. Um, I think that that's extremely powerful. That was smooth, Zig. Really smoothest thing I've ever said in my that life. Was smooth. So, you know, kind of let's let's backtrack a little bit chronologically to kind of SLA to your high school to education as a whole, right? And when I'm looking at this from my perspective, I see a a lot of the problem in terms of the implicit racism and the subconscious racism that is pervasive throughout American society is just really starts, you know, in those primary and secondary schools. It really does. And we've talked to, to Matt Hanna, who said the same thing. And, you know, I've you know, talked to, to friends and neighbors who have been to similar high schools that I have. And we all leave those high schools, you know, being in, having been instilled with subconscious racism that we don't recognize until you get into a more diverse, uh, area such as college and you realize that you know why does my brain default to thinking differently about somebody else i thought i, w I didn't think i was racist i didn't think i thought i treated everybody the same and it's just the way that the system the schooling had kind of raised you and whitewashed everything and twisted your mentality led to you naturally innately just thinking differently and that's absolutely messed up and we talked to you know somebody a young man uh the guy from ireland they were just talking about earlier in the show Talked to him yesterday, and he said, "You know, in Ireland, they have this class called called was it CSP? Yeah, CSP. And CSP was something that absolutely blew my mind for a class it, that they'd yeah. be taking since you know fifth equivalent to like fifth and sixth grade, you know, throughout the rest of their high school years. And you know, in, at least in my school, you had history, American history, or European history, and then right? APs. But but that, that was it, right? You didn't have anything else in terms of social uh, studies. But you know, I guess in Ireland." They have your history class, 
you know, for one course. And then you take it consecutively or at the same time, you take a CSP course, which essentially dives into the trials and tribulations encountered by other cultures, as well as, you know, present day social issues and political matters from like fifth and sixth grade. They're doing this in conjunction with history. Yeah, this kid knew that Christopher Columbus was a slave trader by the time he was like 10. <laughs> I didn't know that until the time I was 20. And that's not, that's not a lie. That's not something that we were necessarily taught, right? That's not something that was really preached at all, was yeah. you know, the negative side of things. So what I'm getting at is, you know, where, where do you stand? I see a lot of the issue coming from education. Um, am I just kind of missing another, another side of the issue? Or do you agree that that is, you know, a primary issue? I know uh, that's definitely the primary issue. I mean, it goes even way back, even like before education. But education-wise, is definitely a, a big miskey for development for American citizens today, especially for non-blacks. Like as you said yourself, like you weren't aware at all that Christopher Columbus was a slave trader. Um, no, it's just things that you just don't think is like is real is actually real. Like America is trying to brainwash. Like my non black like me, yeah, I said this on the uh the Twitter platform for Temple anyways. I said that a lot of uh well a lot sorry, <laughs> I lost my train of thought. But a lot of what's happening right now, they just want you in their pockets because they want to use you as puppets. They want you to realize, hey, like like America is not a sin. America is like a utopian world, like nothing can go wrong in America. And obviously, um they're picking on like the inferior race, which is African Americans, which Constantly, they're brutalizing us and thinking that, like, the superior race will be conservative and for many, many decades and many years go on, obviously. Um, I mean, it's nothing new. And obviously, like, we're all waking up towards it, which is a big step for developing for a new change in America because it has a lot of outlaws and those outlaws need to be changed. And if, and if it has to be dramatic, it will be dramatic. So I, I kind of hear a, a sense of exhaustion in your voice. Like when you're speaking on this, it just I just kind of get the feeling that it's, it's just, you've had to repeat this so many times and it's just not been heard. And you had to, you know, you just, you just, it seems like you're just beating a dead horse and nothing's changing. And you don't know how, how many times you can say the same thing or how many different ways you can say the same thing. And it gets back to the, you know, the falling on deaf ears is that nothing's, nothing's happening when you speak up. So if you're not, if no matter how loud you scream, nothing's happening. You know, yeah. actions speak louder than words. Yes, sir. Yes. What you said is a huge impact on my life. For 20 years, obviously, um, you know, I never wanted to be labeled as a threat. I never wanted to be labeled as, you know, a victim either. But apparently, like, in any situation that I'm in, like, whether I'm going to, like, a grocery store or anything, like, I always have, like, someone that's following me. Like, scenarios like those, like, just never want to happen at all even as a young black man too and it's just it's just so unfortunate like history is literally repeating itself in ways that happens like my family members and i don't want that happening to me so obviously taking a stand right now doing all that i can to live the life that i want to live and not by anybody else you know and that that's something that i you know Maybe, maybe this is, this is not right of me to say, but it infuriates me as a, as a, as a human that another human feels that way. And it infuriates me that, you know, while I have never, I've not necessarily felt that way, that somebody else who, you know, bleeds the same just naturally 
the system leads that individual to feeling that way. You know, and, and these things that for, for 18, 17, 18 years of my life, through when I graduated high school, I had, I had no real conception of the severity of the situation. And it seemed, you know, looking back, it was intentionally, you know, though that there was no awareness of, of, of the severity of the situation. They didn't want us to be aware of the severity of the situation, right? It was always, in, in Matt Hanna, on the first episode, mentioned that in fifth grade, uh, he went to like a, an indoor amusement park, like the Chuck E. Cheese type thing. And, you know, his, his teacher said something along the lines of, you know, oh, there, you know. Uh, the city kids came and ruined it. Yeah, right. And, yeah. you know, obviously the, the city kids she was referring to were black, were black kids. But as a fifth grader, when your, your mind is so malleable, it's so moldable, whether or not you want it to, that imprints on your mind. That, oh, okay, my teacher said that these people are causing problems and these people are, you know, being, being disruptive um, in her eyes. So, and she's a teacher. I, have to, I listen to the teacher. I'm a fifth grader, <laughs> right? No matter, no matter whether or not the fifth grader thinks that that's right or wrong, they don't, they're not, you know, their brain is not cognitively developed enough to make an independent decision. They just listen to what their teacher says and take that as the truth. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he, he said that in fifth grade. And I heard things along those lines, um, maybe not in fifth grade, because my fifth grade teacher was, was an absolute beautiful human being, but other grades, you know, where it's things that I, looking back, maybe I don't, I can't think of an explicit situation now, but if, you know, leaving high school, I had different worldviews of different people, there must have been things, you know, throughout my, throughout my schooling career Yeah, that led I think me to definitely. thinking like that. Yeah, I, I think that we can't think of explicit situations because they were around all the time and we just didn't think that they were wrong. You know, it's like, I, like, I think it goes back to the education of like these, like, like situations like these were so common that it was just like, we just didn't think differently. Right. And I want to stress again, like, it's not your fault that these views that were impacted on you, it's your fault the reason why you like don't know anything now about like racism, but like, just understanding like like the form of how racism works and the key developments of how racism can be terminated is like key now because obviously we do want change. But just looking at like past like in your past lives, it's like not understanding like how like the works of racism is worked around like your community, around your neighborhood is obviously it's crucial, but when you learn from it, you know, and you wanna impact and make it better for the um, citizens, um, black citizens, you know, it helps. And it really helps that becoming aware of like what you never knew in the past. Is- I think it is, it is, it would, if it, it is our fault, my fault, if I did, you know, especially in a time like now, actively chose not to self-reflect and actively chose not to, you know, or actively chose to just stay complacent, right? That would be, that would be my fault. And it's also, my fault. I know fault has a negative connotation, but it's also my fault if I choose to self-reflect, right? And I don't know where I'm getting at there. I kind of lost myself, to be honest. Uh, but let's let's backtrack a sec to to SLA, right? I kind of explained, you know, kind of how my high schooling and uh, primary schooling career kind of unfolded, right? Did you kind of see any of those similar things occurring at SLA? Oh yeah. I'm not gonna say a ton of times, but there was a few incidents that happened. Uh, during going up to tournaments, I mean, my life it was always so diverse. Like I was always among like a shit ton of minorities, and of course, like 
a lot of uh, white people as well. But I just never played a sport that was just predominantly white. So then and there, at first, it wasn't a hard transition until like going to tournaments and actually like seeing like just like a bunch of white dudes just like tossing the frisbee around. Like, holy crap, guys! Like, <laughs> we're far different than like any other team here. But it was like I've seen my our opponents and I've seen like the look that they gave to us. I'm like, this is not the look of welcoming and understanding like the game and like saying like it's a spirit of sport and you know like the sports like well respected and respect each other when you play like at the end of the day you can see that as competitors i never really gotten that especially during my sophomore and junior year i always get like the like a negative look like of why is he here like dude like this is our sport like there's like negative notions like that i just never like felt like welcome it was really unwelcoming and you know, there was a couple incidents where uh, I didn't call like racial slurs by the parents on the sidelines. And I remember, I don't want to say the team name, but um, there was a couple incidents where a lady on the sideline was um, just like in our ear just saying negative stuff while we were playing. She had like some Confederate flag, like as a blanket and everything sitting Ooh. down. Jesus. Like, dude. Like, and I even told like my coach about it and everything too. And obviously, he wrote like an angry letter to the yeah. team and the whole school. So it's just stuff like that. Like at the end of the day, we want to play competitively. Like we don't want to be seen like by our fans. We just want to be seen as awesome players. Me and you, you know. And obviously, like we didn't get that at all. So dealing with that while playing at the same time, trying to win, trying to win like championships, trying to win the tournament, it's just really hard. It's like more weight carried on my shoulders, more weight than we needed to carry. Yeah, it's an even it's an even steeper uphill battle. Yeah. Have you felt, you know, any of that same kind of discrimination in the sport, you know, during pickup, during more casual, in a more casual setting? I would say not necessarily. It was definitely more comfortable, um, especially like in the paddock community and like pickup in general around Philadelphia. Um, it was definitely like more welcoming and definitely felt like at home and I can like be myself around others, especially non-blacks. So that then and there, uh, it felt good, you know, like... I was at ease more, uh, detention decrease. Uh, yeah. Do you think establishing? I have a, I have a not great story about my high school um, and your high school uh, that I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell. And and the the question that I'm gonna that I'm gonna ask afterwards is: Do you think that what what do you think the bodies like the overseeing bodies like Pata um, or I guess what what's the Philly high school? It's Fuel. Fuel. Yep. Fuel. And then in, in Pittsburgh, it's Pull. You know those those kind of overseeing high school bodies. What can they do? with regards to discriminatory acts, right? Because a lot of times the, the schools themselves or the teams themselves from the high schools aren't sanctioned by the, by, the, by the school, right? My team was not sanctioned by my high school. We just took the high school name, but nothing. Not, there was no, really a, no real association. Everything that you know, we had, obviously, we paid for. Uh, so, you know, going through the school wouldn't have really done anything. Going through our coach wouldn't have really done anything. You know, going through the overseeing body, I don't know what else they could do because they're, to this day, Pool is asking for high school coaches for all divisions. They're looking for high school coaches because they're they're down probably a dozen as, as far as what they need. So firing one because he's not acting on his discriminatory or discriminating athletes would put them even farther in the in the you know in the in the minus in terms of coaching. So what I'm saying is, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, my freshman year of college was that two years ago, two and a half, three years ago. Oh man, don't between, say three. Don't between, say three. <laughs> between between freshman and sophomore year of college, I went I was home for the summer 
Um, and I and I states was in Pittsburgh, and I went there to help coach you know my high school team. And they played SLA in the semifinals, and that game had a lot of controversy. So much controversy as I think your coach um, made a statement on Twitter, and that received a lot of you know, oh yeah backlash and a lot of heat that. from. The yeah. North Allegheny players, as well as us. it was, it was not a good, not a good time. And being on the sidelines, right? I try, I, I obviously, I put ultimate first. I'm not, I'm not considering. Yes, they're competitive. We're competitive, but the mentality I heard from, you know, the players on North Allegheny, as well as the coach, right, was that you know these players are being too aggressive. They're, you know, trying too hard. They're being too. You know, I heard, I heard, and this is a direct quote that I remember. I'm not going to name the name, but they're acting too much like animals, right? They're all these, all these things. Nobody outright said direct racial slurs, but God, they might as well. They might as well have just said it, more or less. That's what I'm saying. And you know, on the field, it was, it was like this. SLA is is no being no more competitive than any other team that you guys have faced. They've been, they've been, they've been no more unspirited because trust me, NA, we are just as unspirited as any other team that you can find here. That's like our MO is to be unspirited and, and it sucks, but that, nice. that was just kind of the thing. I, I'm, I'm, I tell you, but we didn't have I a know, positive yeah. spirit score until my junior year of high school. Positive. Not even like we were the worst. It was like we were negative up and, you know, for my first two and a half years of high school, but kind of figures, but that's besides the point. Okay. Uh, I haven't lost to Columbia in my high school career. So that's besides the point. Um, what, I, what I'm saying is that they it was, it was like this team is just fighting as hard as we're fighting, and yes, we're making nitpicky calls, but they're making nitpicky calls. Everything we're doing that we're or everything we're everything they're doing that we're accusing them of and calling them out for, we're doing the same thing. It's just heat of the moment competition. Why are we treating them any differently than we treat any other team? We played Radner in the finals, and you know Henry Ying was the classic Henry Ying, you know walking around with his with his with his dick hanging out and whatnot. Uh, just throwing dumb shit, and we didn't get as mad about Henry Ying being. In, I don't want to call him an asshole. I respect the crap out of out of Henry, but that day he had such a, a cocky arrogance that, from my perspective, I would have been so much more pissed at that than anything else I saw that day, that weekend. Why did they choose to say these things and act this way and take, you know, take a side, take a stance against SLA versus any other team? You can rule. You can come up with any excuse you want, but what does it probably come down to? It comes down to to demographical dis- dis- differences. It comes down to race. That's messed up. And the fact that our coach, when I brought this to his attention, um, came at me for calling you know him out, and came at me for saying, "Hey, you know this." I what I didn't I didn't think the way that they acted was appropriate. That has created such yeah. a divide not only between me and my and me, and me and that team, but so many other players in that team, right? And that shows to me that no, it's not. It's not. You know. Yes, it is ultimate community as a whole, but it, it's it's the schools themselves, and these players having this mentality and feeling like this just sense of entitlement, this sense of yeah. superiority based on based on nothing but arbitrary shit, is, yeah. is is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys paid attention to being ulti this past week, mm-hmm. um, but he uh, I forgot his name, Austin, uh, said like brought up this story about like. One of his friends, and Austin's black, and one of his friends who's also black, he quit because he couldn't deal with like what he was hearing on the sideline 
and like during games and all that stuff. And he wanted to come back and he tried to come back, but he just never let it go. And understandably never let it go. And it's like, obviously, like you said, it, it's just, it, it creates a problem at all these schools um, where, you know, black people don't feel welcome playing Frisbee. Is that a school thing or is that, or is that an well, ultimate mm, thing? You know I what? think it's, I think it's an ultimate thing. I think that it's, I think the fact that it's such a white sport at so many schools makes it an ultimate thing. I don't think that you can, you know, I, I, I don't think that you can make it just a school by school thing personally. No, I don't mean like a school by school. I mean like, you know, we were talking about the schooling system as a whole. Yeah. Not helping the matter, whitewashing everything. Right. Yeah. Pushing this sense of entitlement to their students. And a lot of times the students are white, right? Yeah, and I mean, ultimately yeah. those students are also white. Yeah, there's the school layer to it, which doesn't help, obviously. But I, yeah. But I'm saying if the school, if the schools didn't whitewash everything, if they were honest about it, if they weren't so damn pr- just stuck up with their own pride and self entitlement that they could admit that you know, hey, white people messed up a lot, and uh, and it's not good, and yeah. you know, there's a lot of social injustice going on, and that's also not good. If if, if they would just admit that that was going on to their students. Wouldn't that shift the way that their students were acting? In the I would hope community? so. I would hope so. Doesn't that all but tie it, back to to what they learned in school? Yeah, because I mean, I would, I would, I would hope that they act differently, but I haven't. Obviously, like we haven't seen that. I'm but. saying Matt Hanna had that stuff put in his mind in, in fifth yeah, grade. If yeah, you're saying you started playing ultimate before fifth grade. You're lying because because <laughs> it, there's no such there's no such thing as ultimate before fifth grade. It doesn't exist. You you played soccer. Don't lie. Or baseball, or whatever, whatever, what everybody else does. You know, I don't know. What I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just talking out my ass here, and I'm trying to find an answer. I'm trying to find a way that we can say, this is, this is, this is where the leak is. This is where the issue is. We, we need to, we need to fix right here. This is the leak. This is the issue. We got to plug this up. We got to change this, and everything else will, will get better. And I don't think it's that simple. No, it's not. It's I know, I know, it's, I know, it's not that simple. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to be ignorant and short-sighted here, right, but yeah. I want, I want it, does that make sense? I want it to be that simple. I want it to be, I don't want to acknowledge or find it hard to acknowledge or find it hard to really grasp how wide and how infected, I don't know if that's the right word, society is with, yeah. with, this, with this sense of entitlement in the white community, in this sense of just superiority. That, that, I mean, that, yeah. that just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense. It'd be much easier if this was, you know, somewhat solved years ago this was damn ireland we'd be we'd be doing great (laughs) but but you know this was basically you know you know fucking pushed pushed away because people didn't care you know and now people care and we see how deep this runs finally right and honestly say from my point it's all really about self-reflect and how do you see your views of others basically um if you are obviously if you're like uneducated on like the black culture and like how black people like grew up, then you'll never like understand how to be black. And of course, it's like you don't, like you're not black. But if you understand like the works of like what's affecting black lives and like obviously like racism itself and systematic racism, um, then you're like one step closer to understanding like you know like what black people like really have to go through every day and anything like that. Um, obviously, there are a ton. Kind of like a shit ton of ignorant people in the world who think they like they, they try to like force themselves to understand like what's wrong like america's like problem everything but like they're not fully understanding and it hurts like if you're confused about something obviously just like ask 
somebody like ask like a black person like hey like x y and z and they'll just tell you you know it's just it is all just starts by like having an open mind about what you truly are confused about what you're puzzled about and finding a way to just understand and then once you understand, obviously, you go right in and try to fix it as much as possible. You know, use your rights, use your privilege to fight against something that you think is more evil. If that makes sense. <laughs> that, that does make sense. Um, and, it, and you're tying it back to that self-awareness. And now is the time where, hey, you may be having a lot more time than, you know, you're used to uh, on, on a normal June 15th. Use that time wisely. Use that time to educate yourself. Use that time to look in the mirror figuratively and, you know, understand where your shortcomings are and where your if you have biases where they stand and kind of try to figure out where they came from and figure out why you know you think that way and try to understand a why why that's wrong and and b understand how you can actively try to fix yourself you're not being a hypocrite for trying to change right yeah no not not in any sense of the word so but but you're saying you're saying that we need to now's the time and and People need to start reflecting in themselves and thinking about them, you know, becoming self-aware and, and trying to understand and learn and educate, you know, yada, yada, yada. But if that's what needs to happen over the next 50 years, it's saying, well, yes, you have your 18 years of high school, which, you know, we'll say, well, just whitewashes everything. And then after that, you get put into the real world. Now is your time for the next few years to start realizing why that messed you up, right? It can't, we can't just keep to going on in this cycle. No forever we got to go so far back to the root of the problem and i'm not an expert on any sort of educational reform nor am i gonna act like i am but, but there needs got, to be some edu- there needs to be some sort of educational reform yeah. it's got to be it's got to start way back way yeah. back when it's got to start so so far back in the supply chain because you know obviously no nobody's born prejudice that's that's obvious and you know even if but if your parents are racist that doesn't automatically you know, make you racist. And that's a scientific fact. You know, uh, I read I read a study for a class by behavioral psychologist, Dr. Judith Harris, who put some out in 1997 uh, on a critical study regarding like nature versus nurture. You know, what do you learn from the world around you? And what do you learn, you know, has already kind of been learned because it's in your genetics. And she theorized, and it's kind of like the widely accepted theory right now, um, and has a lot of support for it saying that 50% of our behavior comes from our genetics and his hereditary. 50% of our behavior, the other 50% comes from social groups and society and schools. More or less, it's like it's, it rounds down easily to 0% of our behavior you know, that we develop throughout our life comes from interactions with our family, comes Very from interactions inside the household. Right? And if you think about it, it makes sense. Because yes, when people say, oh my gosh, you, you, you act so much like your mom or so much like your dad, that's that genetic side. But yeah. when you know, but how you when you go home and how you act inside your own walls of your, of your house, that's completely different than how you act with your friends, right? That's completely different than how you act in school. And who you are to the world, to everybody out there, is who you act with your friends and, and how you act with you know in school and society. That's completely different, like I said, from how you act at home. And you know, you're kind of conforming a little bit in your house, and you're not really necessarily being a hundred percent who you are. Right. If, if your parents, that's what I'm saying is your parents are racist. Doesn't, that doesn't make you racist. If the system, if the schools kind of instill racist beliefs in you, that's going to stick. Right. Right. Your, your parents could be Confederate out the wazoo 
and have have you know, all the Confederate statues that are getting torn down now. They they bought them and they have them in their front yard. And you were raised inside that, and you can. Then there is no scientific proof to say that even if you're friggin' homeschooled, you'll end up like that. You'll end up just like your parents. There's, there's no proof saying that that's gonna happen. So people making the excuse saying, "Oh, you know, I'm racist because my parents are racist," or "I have prejudice because my parents are prejudiced," that's that's you know horseshit. You have these prejudices and these biases because that's what the system has put into you, and that's what society, you know, that's just, that's just how society molds your mind. How it runs. That's how it runs. And that to me, I've said this in a couple of other shows after kind of doing that research and reading that stuff. That's scary as shit to think yeah. that you know I can be however open and I can be however accepting and and try to mold my kids' minds and and make them just so aware of the world around them. But say they have a, a friend group that is has three racists in their friend group, they're pretty much set to end up closer to their friends than they are to what I've been trying to teach them. Yeah, that's terrifying. Right, and their and their friends that were racist didn't get that racism from their parents. They got that racism from society, from the school, from the system. In in you know, every time I look down that that path, it just seems like a dead end. You know, it, it no. seems I I don't I don't mean to be to be dire or to no. be to be to make to make things uh, like super bummer right now, but. I think everything else. I don't is know. <laughs> I think we all need to move to Ireland. No, I'm moving. I'm moving to New Zealand, but you know that's okay. a, that's another story. Uh, I want to I want to talk to you some about, to Nate about something I came across today um, on Instagram. Sure. I saw a a uh, an account that came up probably like four days ago. That you may have heard of, may have not heard of it, called Black Mainline Speaks, and it's kind of um, a a story or not a story. An account that puts anecdotes from students um, who have been to schools on the main line in Philadelphia. For those that don't know, why am I explaining this? But for those that don't know, the main line is a – oof, I'm not even going to try. Nate, can you explain what the main line is? Because I'm not 100% sure. It's a, a county. Basically, it's simple terms of county for uh, predominantly white, wealthy people. <laughs> Right, and I where Villanova I, is. It's where Villanova is. I think I there you go. Yeah. It's, it's like in northwest Philly, north, northwest of Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, basically up there. They have like Narberth, um, Winwood, Radnor, Villanova, Brimar. Yeah, Radnor. That's basically like the main I, line. I don't understand. Like, I don't understand any of those cities you said, but those towns you <laughs> said, no idea. But I know of the main line. We're gonna start there. All right. But anyway, it was, it was saying it was raising voices of those that encounter discrimination at schools. All over the Philadelphia mainline, and in, in, in four days, there are dozens upon dozens of anecdotes of discriminatory harassment and degradation on that page. And that, like I said, that just started on June 11th, right? And you know, I, I don't, I don't know where that that comes from, right? That that uh, obviously we talked like the racism and, and the degradation. We know it's, it's a systemic problem and it's a societal problem. But the the Irishman, the guy named Kean. Ian, shout out. Ian Dwyer, <laughs> uh, we talked to a couple of days ago. He said that that same, you know, instances of, of harassment. I'll read one out just for an example. Um, this was posted a couple of days ago. And it said, uh, at a school called Agnes Irwin, I'm going to call them out. My English quote, my English class was reading a book that talked about drugs. Someone brought up the mainline drug ring bust that happened a few years prior to the teacher. And he said, quote, those aren't real drug dealers. I mean, come on. You know what real drug oh. dealers look like? And there are dozens upon dozens of this happening from the students, of this happening from the teachers, of this happening from, you know, the school board, 
right, that are happening inside the school walls. And, and you said that this is a majority white affluent area along the main line that doesn't have much, you know, diversity uh, in that area. And this is happening, right? But, I, but then you look at Ireland, which has even, like as a whole, has less diversity than these high schools. My high school, I graduated with 700 kids, roughly, a little okay, over 700 God. people. And I can count pretty much on two hands the amount of, of black people that I graduated with. It's nuts. Absolutely insane. And in Ireland, there's even less. It's like less than 2% of the country is, is uh, of the black community, right? But Kian's saying, well, yeah, there's, there's no black people here, right, to quote unquote, I don't want to say defend themselves, right, to call people out. But this isn't, real, this isn't really happening over there. Yeah, he literally said that he's never felt any sort of racial bias against anybody anybody before. And that's and that, in a country with like negative. That may, that may be, you know, he he may be a little bit, you know, right. That may yeah. be a little bit of hyperbole, right? Maybe right. a little bit of another yeah. extension. But is that when when we brought these things to his attention, he was just dumbfounded that this could even happen. I. Uh, I just want to know you're. There's not much to be said. <laughs> I just, there's not much to be said because the yeah. the anecdotes speak for themselves. Yeah, and it's just kind of I don't know. It's just disheartening. And I'm looking I'm looking for for positives, and everywhere I turn, it's it's more and more negatives. And maybe that's what's necessary. Maybe that's what's necessary is to be is to be drowned all all the potential positives and and, and ignorant comments being drowned out by the the reality of the situation, right? And having reality finally not get drowned out by, you know, the news and, and large you know, sources of media kind of just putting a twist on it to make it better and make it, you know, swallowable. And it's, it's, it's maybe it's about time that, you know, the, the old cliche truth hurts, you know, comes to fruition and that the truth needs to hurt um, to people who, you know, were ignorant or unaware of the truth this whole time. So, Nate, what, what are your thoughts about how social media has affected, affected this protest and affected the efforts? Affected the protest? Um, or just everything? Just, just the entire the, the movement and the fallout? Um, oh, yeah. How, how big of a role has social media played, do you think? Oh, it played a huge role, obviously. Um, it definitely exploits, and in an explicit way, obviously it had to be explicit, the, the wrongdoings that America has been having on their nation of African Americans for, for a while now. Um, but at the same time, it's been a huge outlet for all of you guys to open your eyes and realize like, what is really happening, like what the system is really trying to do to a race that is so inferior to its own country. Because obviously, like, we want to listen to as much as any other person of us here. Um, and they're respecting our rights, obviously, just being abolished constantly for like years and decades of this racism, racial slurs and um, explicit acts on us. It's just, we had enough, obviously, um, we had enough. We're just, we want to, you know, expose like the wrongdoings that America has been doing on us for years. Um, and so the less, I mean, obviously, like it's the truth and people can be ignorant enough to not accept like the outlaws that America has fallen enough, but it's the truth and the truth hurts. It's just like what you said, uh, you know, but the, Going back to the question, sorry, uh, social media apparently like it's it's been such a benefit for like black people altogether. So, all right, I'm, I'm I've been on fire with segues lately. I got another one right here. 
swing it back to Temple Ultimate. You had a very powerful and impassioned statement. Um, your your message for your non-blacks. And I, spoiler, not spoiler, but just to let you know, I appeared on another uh, podcast, I guess started another podcast called Six Feet of Separation. And, you know, this happened to come up and then this conversation came up and, and this was a little bit after I had read your statement before I was on that show. And for whatever reason, I was like, you know what, give me a second. Let me pull this statement up. I want to read it. Uh, and I, and I read it, I read it out and the host on the other side kind of just kind of, he just kind of said, wow. He just said, I, you know, you read it, you, you read somebody else's statement and I felt his power. I felt his frustration through your voice. He says, I can't even imagine, you know, how, how, how powerful and how impassioned he was when he wrote it. You know, he was taken aback by how strong, how strong the statement was. And he had his eyes open and he felt like your statement was extremely necessary, uh, extremely fruitful for everybody that's going to listen and, you know, and, and, and himself as a whole. What I'm, I'm curious as to your motivations behind, you know, that statement. Um, <laughs> I was going to say the least, it's just years of just bowing up like my emotions and like how I really feel. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. Obviously, I felt as if like, America, like America, doesn't all together want us to be silent. Wants us as a like nation for black people to just not say anything, let them like, continue to do what they want to. And obviously, I was scared and I was just afraid because of what they were just doing to like my brothers and sisters. Like, put a fear in my heart to just like be silent. But obviously, like using my voice now is more important more than ever because it's either you speak up or you know, like let whatever anything happen to you. Like, I could die like the next day, anything like that. But it's just like what motivated me to say that message. It's just now you guys realizing that, you know, racism is like a huge issue and it hasn't gone away throughout years of history. It's like more important than ever that I need to get what I feel out. Because if you are dire to listen, you, you know, want to make an impact of what you think is wrong with the system, then obviously like that message was definitely necessary for you to really understand like what it's really like for me to be just oppressed with this system for years, just handling this system for years, just living under fear for how long I could say, like, I was like six, like, just going through adolescence, being this, like, little black boy to, like, a black man, like, obviously, like, I'm labeled as a threat and I have a target on my back. Like, I want this message to be clear, like, cleared out to, like, people who I really love before, you know, anything happens to me. Otherwise, you know, this message will never be sent. This message will never be heard. And that message would never be like read by you or Donnie or anybody else that I know, you know. So that's what like really motivated me as well. And also just like understand really, just understand, just understand really just what is like, what is like and like what racism can really have an impact on an ethnicity group of black people all together. So. Are there any, um, or have there been any kind of just cornerstone events you know, throughout your life, you know, so far that you feel define the issues right now. Can you rephrase that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Is, are there are there are there any events that you've that you've had in your life, right? Any, any experiences that you've had firsthand um, that you feel really define, you know, why people need to listen and why it's so, extremely important right now that the shit needs to change right now. Yeah, totally. Um, I've been for too long, America. 
and as I said before, like my people must do like America like had you guys like in public, they had you in the pockets of this not understanding like what the action that they're doing to inferior, you know, ethnicity group. So um going back to it, like it's important to, you know, realize like the causes that the system is really doing to us because it's literally killing us. And obviously like there needs to be a change and for you to like understand. Like we'll break it down, like the, the the problems and the conflicts that we had with the system, in order for you to just like understand and make a change. Because you all have the power to make that change, and obviously, have you guys beside us, by our side, and understanding at the same time is key to a development for a reform country. You, tw- you tweeted some out um, a couple of days ago, and I just came across my note that I made a couple of days ago when you tweeted it to say, let's bring this, I'm going to bring this up again. You tweeted something out that starts with my, your worst fear, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and if it's okay, I have it right here. You cool if I, if I just yeah. kind of read it for people to, to hear? Of course, yeah. So, you know, Nate said, you know, his worst fear, being pulled over by a police officer, you know, thoughts that are too risky to ask, quote, to that do something wrong officer, quote, may I ask why I'm being over, pulled over officer. He's being silent with his hands visible on the wheel. And his only true thought is, quote, I can't believe this is how I'm going to die. Right? It's heavy. It's, it's, it's stuff. It's, it's things like that that just, it just has to be said. And it's, it's, it's extremely hard um, and difficult for somebody like me, just a white male, to process that feeling. And it's, it's, I think it's on, you know, we'll say just this white, white, the white community to not really try too hard to process that feeling because you're not going to be able to. And to understand that you're not going to be able to process that feeling. And you need to understand that all you can process is that somebody else is going through this. And the fact that you can't process that feeling is, is just a further testament to how fucked up that feeling is. It also just shows like, like enough is enough, right? Like we don't feel this, so we should make the effort so that they don't have to feel this. You know, like no one should bring it differently. Um, okay. Um, we'll switch so, gears. Yeah, yeah, switch gears. Um, we wanted to bring something specifically up. Um, a little sports related. A lot of so a lot of NBA players, not a lot, but a few. I I know Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, Kyrie Irving or. The three big ones, really, they're coming out and they're saying that they don't want to resume the NBA season. Yeah. They want to focus on social reform and, 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 you know, race relations. Do you like, it's a tough question because what are, what are your opinions on that? What are your thoughts on that entire thing that they don't want to play so that they can help solve this problem? I mean, as much as I love the NBA and like the NFL in general, like it's, it's beneficial and I morally support it. Orleans. I remember, I know exactly what he's talking about because I read uh, a quote off of Lou Williams and saying, like, resuming the NBA is just, just going to be, like, a huge distraction for, like, what's happening right now. And I couldn't agree more, obviously. I mean, we must take matters into our, our own hands and what we think is, like, morally wrong and, like, not let anything be a distraction towards what we're trying to do. So there are statements that, you know, those NBA players have said is not only just lethal, but just, like, it's... it's the truth. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, right. it's the truth. And, you know, it definitely just needs to be a change. And I'm glad, like, NBA players are not worried about, like, their pay and, like, the entertainment for others. 
Yeah. Like they put that aside and focus on like what's actually, you know, is hurting our country the most and playing that first. So obviously you definitely have to go with, you know, what hurts the most and try and fix that and find a resolution towards it. So do you think that more players should back them then in terms of not finishing the season or no? I mean, every player had their right to like retweet and have their right to say whatever. But in this predicament, I would hope that they will back their statements as well. Okay. Um, yeah. Obviously, like, I was mentioning this before back in, like, one of the posts. I don't believe I put this on the Temple of Twitter page, but I mentioned that one of the forms that America tries to distract us with is with their mater- materialism and greed. When you focus on money too much, it kind of blinds you of seeing the big picture. I've seen, seen, like, the big, like, you know, racial issues that's going on right now. So, um, for the NBA players that have stated that, you know, like, Black Lives Matter movement needs to be put first over their presumption of, you know, resuming the NBA, you know, it's obviously their eyes are open and they're much more aware of, like, what needs to change and what's more for. Do you think that sports as a whole, right, a lot, a lot of you know, the NBA – um, I know the NHL already has plans, and the MLB maybe no, no, we'll, maybe we'll resume. Maybe uh, not. We don't, we don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> we don't need to talk about baseball with Donnie. He'll get he'll we get fired. Yeah. Um, do you think it's necessary for the NBA to set a precedent and back their players? Because none 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 of these leagues have, unless you know, correct me if I'm wrong, have outright backed their players efforts they've come out against racism they come out against yeah. you know uh discrimination and in support of the black lives matter movement but they haven't come out and said you know we are in support of our players do you think that that's an important step um that needs to happen Nate? or you know for let me, let me elaborate a little bit more do you think that you know the players speaking out and voicing their opinions on this matter do you think that those opinions won't get anywhere until it has this, the backing from the owners? Or do you think that as a collective, those players will be able to be loud enough um, to, you know, to stop the, I don't want to say stop the league, but, but delay, the, delay the start? I wish I could tell you the answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, like, voice not concerned is the most important thing that you can do. And honestly, it just depends on how, like, the league takes it. Because, um, you know, they don't want to be seen I mean many like leagues and companies and organizations, like for organizations that donated like like shit ton of money, like a million dollars to like the Black Lives Matter like movement, like obviously like it's beneficial, but they don't want to be seen, you know, as like the, the bad guy and all of it or like supporting the system versus supporting like the local communities that are around the United States. So like depending on the decision of what they want to do, like the league themselves will impact like their side on like whose side they're really on really. Um whether they do or don't listen to like what their players, like NBA, basketball, football, you know, hockey, baseball players say about what's going on. Like whether they support or backlash it, it will speak for itself. Honestly, social media will like do all the work and expose I think owners are too greedy to maybe back their players in this instance because they want the money. Um I would hope that maybe, you know, they would be like, yeah, we back our guys if they don't want to play, but I don't think anyone's really going to, I don't think any of them are going to come out and say that stuff. That goes right, that goes right back to Nate's point he made like two minutes ago. He said, he said one of the forms that this comes out in is 
materialism and greed. Yeah. And if those people who are in high places that have power to, you know, back, you know, the players or make make changes happen, if they put the money before the movement, that's just that's 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 being textbook complacent. Yeah, you know? I'm. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, you know, because they need the money, but this is so much bigger than the money right now. Exactly. Um, like it, it's so much bigger than the money, and you would hope, you know, maybe there's owners out there that say like, I want to play basketball. I want my team to play basketball, but I completely support, you know, uh, like, like my, you know, Rob Palenka comes out and says, I completely support Dwight Howard not wanting to play. He's still going to be getting paid if he doesn't want to, because he wants to do the social reform stuff. That's fine. But I haven't seen anything like that lately. That's- I mean, I, I think Rob Palenka supports Dwight Howard not playing because Dwight Howard is, you know, is, is not good at basketball. I don't think it has anything to do with Black Lives Matter. I, I just think he, Dwight Howard is still a you know what I mean, though. You know what I mean, though. Like, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Hopefully, like, there's an owner out there that – because all these owners want to play. Uh, hopefully, there's someone out there that says, I completely support my guy's decision to not play. Why not? Why don't the owners lace up and take the place of the players? I mean, Michael court? Jordan could. Well, Actually, no, the Hornets aren't in, so never mind. But, yeah. I, I'd, I'd pay money to see that. I'd pay, <laughs> I'd pay a lot of money to see Dolan and Eden. Jesus Christ. Jordan Dolan's out, bro. On the court. Dolan's out. I I I pay a lot of money to see that. I'd pay more money to see that than I would to see the actual NBA. I think that'd be Dude, great. Michael Rubin, Michael owners, Rubin balling up. <laughs> Mark Cuban. I I I think Mark they, Cuban probably they they, they would get hurt. They would hurt themselves because they're all white dudes. They get hurt to the point that they can't be owners anymore, and then that would force them to sell the team at a lower price. I think it's a great. I think it's a great idea. I think it's what we need to happen to get rid of some racist ass owners. Yeah. Totally. And obviously, like going back to what you guys saying, like the owners being like the dominant white and everything, um, it has like more cons and pros to it because obviously, like to a situation like this, like deciding whether they want the league to continue versus like, you know, pause the league and like take a like matter of focus for the Black Lives Matter movement. Like they don't understand, you know, like the racial issue that this is like very important. Like they don't put this as like their top priority because they never dealt with it and. That's a huge issue, I believe. Cause I, I can tell you for sure, there was at least like two or three black owners for like the Philadelphia 76ers or like the Lakers and everything. They would definitely take, do whatever it takes oh, yeah. to make the Black Lives Matter movement a priority rather over like the league they're associated with. And, you know, that's what like, obviously like this is what we're all trying to do. We're just trying to inform and educate you guys now on like what's more important because obviously, you know, you're choosing, like, basically, I'm just saying, if you choose, like, the league continue over, like, the Black Lives Matter movement, you're choosing materialism over, you know, the lives of Americans, the lives of black people. Which, I, have, I, have, I have a tough question. Yeah. Nate, do you feel like time is running out? <laughs> Man. <laughs> I was going to ask a different question, but let's just go with, with that one. <laughs> with, with sports coming back and, like, entertainment kind of on the horizon and, you know, coronavirus – Sanctions being lifted and yeah, so you know, the summer ending, like you know, with all these things kind of putting things back to the old normal, right, and taking people's attention away from you know this this such serious and you know, necessary matter. Is there a clock on the whole on on it? I hate to say it, but I feel like there is. I mean, when you look at anything that's been trending, I can't think of one example, but uh, you know, there's like this past scenario that trended. And it was only temporary. It probably lasted for like a couple of weeks, a couple of months. 
And obviously, like what we're in right now, we don't want it to be temporary. We want it to be, you know, everlasting. We want it to be, you know, remembered. It's like a long, like, type situation that we dealt with. But we don't want to stop thinking about this and just move on. We want to acknowledge this until justice is served on a plate for us to eat. You know, we want, you know, a form <laughs> to be enacted because this country is fucked up. That's just a matter. And obviously, we want change and we don't want to forget about this or avoid it in any type of way without That's what I'm trying to say. Um, but at the same time, I do feel like time is running out. But for the people who like really care, I hope that we can fight against time to be unlimited and be limited when, you know, what we want is there for us to take. I got, I got, I got nothing to add <laughs> or any, com- any comments. I think that was very well spoken. Don, I cut off your question. No, it's okay. I was going to, I was going to, um, ask if you think that, you know, is there a way for players to still support Black Lives Matter while playing, you know, like through protests during games? I know a few years ago during the, uh, after Philando Castile got murdered in Minnesota, uh, the Lynx and the, the LA Sparks, the, the Sparks didn't come out for the national anthem during the WNBA finals. Um, do you think that there's a way for athletes to still support while playing or no? Merchandise. Merchandise. Easy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's one example as well. I'm actually talking to uh, the general manager Phoenix about this. We had this conversation. But, like, she asked me, like, Nate, what can Phoenix do to make Black Lives Matter a top priority for, like, understanding, for, uh, for other people to, like, understand who, like, follows us and supports us, understand, like, what it's like to, um, like, to, to figure out, like, what racism, like, enacts on Black people. I said uh, merchandise can be one of them. Obviously, social media can be another and um you know and you see like a lot of nba nfl leagues do like like podcasts or like talk shows or like their plays like why not you know talk about like racism like like a black like running back like alvin kamara or you know michael thomas or even like like there's obviously there's like a ton ton of black athletes out there who can easily speak their mind on like the systematic issue that we're facing right now and you have millions watching so use the platform, leads can easily use the platform to talk about these situations that people are uneducated about in certain ways. So but there's many aspects. It feels just like that, you know, it's, it's, it's just an American thing. Like it, it's just it's an old American tradition to not admit that there's a problem. It's an old American tradition to not admit that we're wrong. And, you know, I think that that's a, that's a big thing that needs to change. That's all that, that comes from, things as small as the individual to things as big as as the team right as the league you know as ginormous companies to not just make a a pr statement saying yeah we we disagree with uh racism because what the hell does that do that's just shout out james dolan you know what we can amplify the voices of the players themselves right we can we can use the platforms that they have and then take those large platforms and put them on the platforms of the entire league to put their voices out there further. But is that enough? Is it ever, is, is, is anything, maybe this is just an, a, a stupid question, but is anything enough? You know, if, if we're, if time is run, if time is potentially running out, then what, what's enough? Like what, what needs to happen in that time? Reform. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big, way big with reform, but like, yeah. you know, 
it, maybe it was, it was a rhetorical question is, you know, there may, there may be a clock on this, but that, that shouldn't mean that we should settle for lesser amounts of reform. Right. Should that not, that the, the, the fact that there may be a clock shouldn't change the expectations, shouldn't change the goals. We got to extend that clock. You know, slow like time. The, I don't know. Now we're now yeah. we're getting into like slow down time, whatever. Now we're getting into. We're not we're not science and technology podcast. I'll tell you that much. I got out of that school like last year, and I'm very happy. We don't do science on this podcast. I brought up one uh, psychology article I read, but I had to read it for my intro to psych class, and that's it. That was my extent of science, and we're not going any farther into science because science says that all humans bleed the same. Simple as that. Is that, is that a segue? I don't know. I don't know if that's a way to end it, but we're going to end it on that note. Because we um, are running, out, running on, on a short clock on the podcast. We'll say that much. I'd like to thank Nate Little again yeah. for stopping by, giving us his honest thoughts and opinions. And uh, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want you want to shout out, Nate? Uh, I'd just like to shout out, you know, the Phoenix organization. Let me use their platform. And of course, you guys, the Temple Ultimate Team. Uh, let me use your platform as well. Uh, I will hope that you know you guys can continue to broaden your horizons on this issue because it's serious. And you know, just knowing that like have you guys as an ally and like supporting me, and knowing that like you know I could be gone like any second. It's just understanding, you know, just understanding just in general of like what the systemic issue is really going to us is key and it's important because us together we can make a change and there's nothing more I can really ask if you really stand by that and really want to take action towards it so I don't, I don't think we have a choice Hope, yeah. I don't think yeah. we can make a change we kind of have to yeah. it's, it's, it's a now or never mentality um, that's the show we're going to sign off and uh, I, I, don't, I don't I don't know I, my, 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 my mind's kind of all over the place I want to get some more clarity on some stuff anyway this is Ziggy this is Donnie uh, and then, yes, all right. <laughs> we'll give it to him. We'll give it. We try it every time. We're, we're getting some success here and there. Anyway, we hope you guys stay safe out there.